0: Listen up, normies. It's time to talk some shit. This is the cast where we talk holy shit about what it means to follow Jesus in the sacred chaos of the 21st century. My name is Benjo. I'm a 20-something anarcho-whatever pastor committed to creating safe spaces for figuring out faith, doing the work, and getting up to holy mischief wherever and whenever we need to. So for the next chunk of time, I'm just a talking head on a podcast, and you're listening to this for some reason. So good luck to you. Let's get into it. Hey, of not lose a co-opted run amok soldier white users to pop the empire up. You're the binary, and rendered under Caesar. All cause your cathedrals needed more cedar. you sold number a neighbor, a seat at the table. All for the major pay to hold the scrolls in your favor. Share gospel with the tools with the and arrows with a 632 time nine holes. Ew, gross. Uh, creationism's bananas. B-A-B-A-N-A-N-A-S. Uh... Let's fucking do this. So Americans are still pretty split on this sentiment. So about 4 in 10 Americans believe in creationism, a.k.a. the idea that God created the universe and humankind in its current form, usually around the last 6,000 to 10,000 years. Roughly the same number of people believe God used evolution to generate life, only two in in ten Americans hold a naturalistic view of evolution. So I get this question all the time. Uh, asking People asking, why do grown adults persist in believing in creationism so blindly? Do they think that all modern biology and chemistry and archaeology and even medicine is just in on some big conspiracy to hide the truth? Or do they just not care? Well, yeah, fucking maybe. But uh, let's talk about it. Because the idea of gen- uh, rejecting Genesis as a one-to-one history book is not nothing new. So it's not like this is a modern phenomenon of denying creationism. Back in the 4th century, St. Augustine admonished readers to avoid pontificating on matters that are better studied outside of theology. Attempting to twist observations on heavenly bodies or animal life to fit the scriptures would ruin the faith, according to Augustine. And this patriarch of the faith felt that it would bring shame on Christianity to practice such open stupidity. But if he wanted to avoid the situation of non-believers hearing Christians just talking nonsense about science, as he put it, uh, then he failed miserably. Christians are the butt of very, very many jokes, and that ass is thick. Uh, And rightly so. So, four in ten Americans—I grew up this way. Uh, I grew up in a Christian school— Assuming humankind began, assume that humankind began in the last 10,000 years in its current form, my 7th grade history book actually told me this. It began, the history book began with the book of Genesis, a history book. I'm a historian now, and this makes my, you know, skin curl? What's the expression? Skin curl? Blood boil, blood boil, right? And it begins with a book of Genesis, this history book. And it just blends seamlessly into Sumerian and Babylonian history within the textbook. In that book, I learned about how tribes were dispersed across the earth after the Tower of Babel event, where the languages were confused in Genesis 11. And this textbook read, quote, we need guidance because the dispersion of mankind, the scattering over the earth, complicates the study of world history. So many people in so many places cannot all be studied at the same time, but by focusing on God's plan, we see how history leads to Jesus. God first chose a special nation out of which Christ would come, end quote. One of the sites to which the uh, people dispersed according to this book uh, is Ur the ancient Sumerian city from which Abraham emigrated. And at the bottom of the page was just a timeline stretching from 2300 BCE to 1700 BCE, um, denoting the origins of the Sumerian and Egyptian civilizations. Abraham's departure from Ur, Hammurabi, and Babylon, and the chronology was drawn from James Usher, who calculated the world's beginning at October 23, 4004 BCE. That's, I mean, it's fucking wrong. But from but from this textbook, that's where they drew it. Uh, from this textbook, I would learn that the Hebrew slaves built the pyramids. I have Egyptologist colleagues whose blood boiled when I told them this, that Christians think this. This is an American curriculum textbook claiming how Hebrew slaves built the pyramid. Nearly a millennia after the archaeological records suggests that the complex at Giza was built. I didn't learn that. Uh, Sumerian cuneiform actually predated the time frame of the biblical flood. So any materials about floods uh, that were in cuneiform in Sumerian or Ugaritic languages, they are pre-biblical. They they exist before the biblical record. And uh, I didn't learn that. And that the flood went strangely unnoticed, at least the one claimed in the Bible, went strangely unnoticed by cultures that were otherwise pretty good at keeping clerical records whether you argue for a local flood or not, it, it it's, it's implausible historically. But I did learn about the global floods that were mentioned in other ancient texts. And this is just a classic Christian move of cherry picking historiography as if it lends their um, uh, kind of out-of-pocket explanation some legitimacy. I distinctly recall feeling kind of excited, like, tingly or enthralled as a child looking at the immersive overlap of things that I was studying in church on Sunday schools on the one hand and a world history class at school at the at the on the other hand I was a fucking nerd and it lended a sense of reality to this fantasy and I I fucking ate this up until high school dude and so now the, the school I was studying at uh, all the way up until high school was a private Christian institution and uh, a, a Becca books from which I drew that excerpt earlier that I read, Uh, it's produced by Bob Jones University Press. They print the lion's share of textbooks used in Protestant private high schools and homeschools, homeschools especially. But that quote was from a, a seventh grade textbook. So I went to Christian schools till eighth grade. Honestly, amazing how I made it out okay and that anybody in the academic community respects me. But now, if you use a John, uh, Bob Jones University Press material in 7th grade, you would have learned things like, quote, Bible-believing Christians cannot accept any evolutionary interpretation. Dinosaurs and humans were definitely on the earth at the same time and may have even lived side by side within the past few thousand years. Thousand years, dude. Uh, anyway. On the topic of dragons, you would have learned that scientists believe that, quote, a fire-breathing animal really existed due to the production of natural gases in the head, end of quote. And in the 11th grade, you would have learned that abortion, abortion turns babies into property just like the Dred Scott decision that made the slaves into property. And then you would have learned that, quote, a few slaveholders were undeniably cruel, but majority of slaveholders treated their slaves well. See, now, while the overlap isn't 100%, of course, so take that with a grain of salt, just remember that 4 in 10s are creationists, 4 in 10 Americans are creationists, while 4 in 10 Americans also believe that the Civil War was about states' rights. I mean, it was about slavery and not just about states' rights. Right? So there's there's an overlap, and part of my suggestion here is that there's quite a bit of that overlap, and the reasons that these ideas are sparking across the constituencies uh, is because of the resonance machine. So, in a convoluted but strangely coherent way, stemming from this idea of biblicism, uh, somebody sent me a meme recently. Actually, actually, they weren't. They were not memes. They just feel memey to me because they're fucking stupid things to say. But the first one was uh, like a pastor speaking. Uh, and he says you can't be biblical without being biblicist, and I said, ah, "So dumb! You absolutely can. Uh, in fact, you are. You 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 would have to be." without being biblicist, in order to be biblical. The next was a younger pastor. I don't know where he was trained, but he would fail my hermeneutics class for damn sure. But he said, quote, I'm grateful that there is never pressure to relativize the Bible, for it speaks to all issues and circumstances under the sun. Oh, yeah, dude. Even space travel, laser beams, what about farming succulents? I'm not going to learn that from the Bible. It's not going to speak to that. So the statement is just careless and it leads people to inflated misuse of scripture. So moving on, the history of biblical literacism, even the rejection of evolution comes from, from a Christian perspective, has a, has a lot to do with racism. So these examples are not the reason for creationism, so much as creationism and the private school's existence using these materials, uh, they're as a result of anti-black racism. So they, they sprouted from the racism and they didn't cause the racism. So now again, I'm drawing my exp- from my experiences at a private Christian school, um, but I wouldn't have been immune to that kind of indoctrination if I had just gone to public school all my life. Nearly a sixth of public high school biology teachers endorse or lend credibility to creationism or intelligent design. As a project director for the National Center of Science Education, Stephanie Keek recently warned the problem's scope, saying, quote, There are about three million students taking high school biology in this country in any given year. So we can conclude that somewhere in the neighborhood of half a million students will be presented with a favorable view of the creationism or Intelligent Design this year in their high school biology classes alone. Now, in a Supreme Court case in 1987, they ruled that creationism was a religious belief, so teachers couldn't be forced by the state to teach it, and yet many today get away with teaching creationism all the fucking time. So why is there an appetite or a lust for this kind of like supernatural clairvoyant misinformation? Take a step back. In 1859, Charles Darwin published The Origin of Species. It's right there. I have it right on my next to my reading chair. It's a fucking good book. They say that all copies of Charles Darwin's Origin of Species sold out in a day in America. Nobody knew at that point how big of a theological fucking wedgie this would give the modern Christian. But Darwin discovered natural selection not long before a key development in biblical studies. So those of you who aren't quite as familiar with biblical studies, and let's be honest, most people in churches have no idea what's going on in biblical studies. Here's a quick primer. Uh, Those of you who are more familiar with biblical studies, this is going to be old news. But Jewish theologians for a very, very long time have taken discrepancies in the text as important to understanding the whole. However, the mid 19th century white Christian scholar sought to reconcile discrepancies through modern investigatory techniques. So there are lots of contradictions in the Bible, and don't let anybody tell you otherwise. The goal is to figure out how to reconcile these things and not to, um, or how to understand them in their context and not to just uh, la la land it away or whatever. But the Bible's, but the better questions are, Uh, Why do those contradictions happen? What are they suggesting about the Bible's construction or perhaps purposes? An easy example, how could Moses have written the Torah if he died before its final scene and wasn't even alive for most of the stories that it tells? What might new archaeological sciences declare of the famous, quote-unquote, battles? I don't know why it quote-unquote that, but what would modern archaeological scientists, sciences declare of the famous battles in the Hebrew Bible? Did they happen? Did they happen with as many troops uh, as they're depicted in the Bible? So in the German school of thought, Julius Wellhausen uh, discovered the documentary hypothesis. He was trying to demonstrate how Distinct voices or agendas were shaping the Torah during its various phases of uh, redaction. So his documentary hypothesis proposed a solution to the problem of why, for instance, there are two creation stories at the beginning of Genesis, right? Maybe you've never thought of this, but it's very easy to read Genesis 1 and 2 as part of one continuous story. But if you add up the various events, they happen in completely different orders and they're two distinct stories. The documentary hypothesis, for example, would explain why Noah brought a pair of each bird and animal on the ground into the ark. In Genesis 6, but then in chapter 7 of Genesis, he actually brings seven pairs of every clean animal, one pair of every unclean animal, and seven pairs of each bird, right? So the latter list either indicated Noah had a working knowledge of the temple ritual, which didn't exist at the point in time in the story, or it indicated the input of later redactors with an agenda, a priestly agenda. So the reading of the quote-unquote plain text of Scripture no longer worked. It also never worked. But for many Americans, it always did. It never stopped working. Uh, but the, the phrase plain text or simple Bible reading or clarity of Scripture, it's a dog whistle for anti-intellectualism, full stop And scholars were figuring this out, even if the public wasn't quite ready to hear that. So if the plain text of scripture no longer worked, it's no surprise that the advance of European scholarship coincided with intense American Christian theological pushback in America. Uh, Evolution is seen as something as sort of like like a folk heresy in conservative Christianity. And... Uh, the way that heresies work historically is that heresies are not challenges to orthodox standards. Instead, heresies are understood as growing with uh, in veins of prospective heresies. So, just uh, faith develops, religious practice develops in a certain way, in a certain flavor, uh, and the decision to call one belief orthodoxy and another heresy is always handled in retrospect. So once we become aware of multiple competing views, then we make that determination. Then we decide which one was correct and historically which one was heresy. And it's always that whoever decides what one is orthodox, everything else is heresy. Likewise, Darwin didn't come to change or to challenge the age-old belief in young earth creationism. Instead, biblical literalism and creationism, While Shirley was always present in some form throughout history, they were really products of print culture and biology and racism. Most obviously, you can see it once you think about it, biblical literalism simply couldn't exist before the Gutenberg printing press. In order for biblical literalism to be an issue or biblical literacy to be an issue, we needed to have affordable Bibles and uh, the ability to read those Bibles before we could have possibly uttered phrases like biblical literacy or the stupid phrase, quote, but the Bible clearly says, blah, blah, blah. And we'll discuss in a later episode about epistemology and reality that the historian Mark Knoll argued that liberalism in the American Christian world was actually a response to slaveholding. It was only after white settler culture started feeling ashamed about slaveholding to some degree that they needed a way to override that chain. And what better way to appeal to the quote unquote plain text of scripture, which plainly teaches in several places that some type of slavery is okay. And just like that, a long tradition begins where the cruelest ministers are the ones thumping their Bibles on people's heads. And the advent of the personal family Bible, the anti-clerical, anti-expert folk religion of the American frontier faith, and the need to justify slavery through direct readings of scripture, these are all the types of things that suggest to us that biblical literalism is rooted in anti-black racism in America. So at the same time, even among committed Protestants, Darwinism was not immediately a threat mostly because it was not immediately understood. I'll spare you the exact dates, but everyone I'm about to mention was writing in the latter half of the 19th century between Darwin and the Civil War on the one hand, and the fundamentalist movement of the 20th century. So the prominent Harvard botanist Asa Gray uh, saw in natural selection an opportunity to reshape the theological conception of design. Uh, A seminary professor called George Wright argued that scientists and theologians alike are walking only by faith, and orthodoxy should be a working theory that can be informed by other fields. The Princeton theologian Benjamin Warfield argued that God might work through evolution, which is still a common view. Four in ten Americans uh, today, right? Others argued that God works through evolution for all species except for humankind, which retains its uniqueness. Now, on the other hand, the clergyman, scientist Enoch Burr, found it offensive to say that our feelings, especially our spiritual feelings, were the result of natural forces. John William Dawson jumped onto the initial lack of scientific consensus in the natural selection and said that natural selection was, as he put it, uh, a minor hypothesis. This is also a, still a common way to attack natural selection. When uh, then-moderate theologians split the difference, some said the problem wasn't natural selection per se, but the atheism that it implies or God working through nature was perfectly fine. So just as scientists were initially divided on natural selection, Christian perspectives split as well uh, across competing agendas. It wasn't quite clear whether the Christian should accept or reject the theory. Then things started changing and hostility started to boil over because now by the turn of the century, American Christianity was plagued by increasing sectarianism, which led to movements that uh, would later gladly call itself the fundamentalists. And after the ouster of several of its prominent modern theologians, the 1910 Presbyterian General Assembly became the first to adopt a list of five key beliefs, which would soon define fundamentalist wings of Protestant denominations in the second decade, um, foreshadowing the the existence of evangelicalism. So the five beliefs included the inerrancy of the Bible as the first, two, the virgin conception of the Christ, three, the uh, uh, substitutionary atonement of the Christ, Four, the bodily resurrection of the Christ. And then five, the historicity and the truthfulness of the miracles of, of the Christ. Later, the existence of miracles would be exchanged for the second coming of the Christ. So now these fundamentalists, they represented the zeitgeist of the anti-modernist Christian position. While the fundamentalists were hostile towards evolution... They attacked it specifically from the flank of biblical inerrancy. Ding, ding, ding. That's why I hate it. Uh, inerrancy. Rather than making creationism itself a central tenant and fleshing out that theology, they were attacking it from the grift of biblical inerrancy. So it was during this burnout from the fundamentalist movement in the 20s, Uh, That once the arguing started splitting too many congregations and getting too many people fired and creating a bunch of arguments, it was during the sort of the 1920s burnout that evolution became this kind of final line in the sand where it really started becoming clear that if you were going to be a conservative Christian, you had to be a creationist, at least a conservative Protestant. And so while fundamentalism decayed into church splits and ruined careers, another option sought to keep the dogma, but include a smile. And this was the early form of evangelicalism. If you've ever talked to me about evangelicalism, I have an issue with their politeness and their toxic positivity. And so there was this early form of evangelicalism already started to do this. I'm arguing that it is perhaps a forefather, but quite a different thing than what we see in white evangelicalism today. So, it was during this period of the 1920s and 30s that the radio preacher and the first the uh, the first megachurches and new publishing and educational outlets started to spring up. Pentecostal movements uh, also rose in this time, and so many other novel and uniquely American innovations to the faith. Were, uh, they were serving up a less dogmatic alternative on the West Coast, in, in, like this Jesus people movement, and in the Bible Belt. So, CC uh, C. Biola, you, Biola, listen to me. You were founded by big oil magnates, Milton and Lyman Stewart. You took their money and you, you joined up with T.C. Horton, a segregationist. Um, and so these modernists, uh, uh, split with the fundamentalists on evolution, and it was indeed a spectacle. It was being like engineered for public consumption. So hopefully you know where this is going. The, the so-called famous Scopes Monkey Trial of 1925. This all started when a Tennessee state re- representative named John W. Butler passed the Bup- Butler Act in March of 1925. The acts prohibited the teaching of evolution in all public schools the ACLU immediately sought to challenge the case and collaborated with a 24-year-old teacher named John Scopes who agreed to get himself arrested for assigning students a chapter on evolution from the book, A Civic Biology. And the irony is that this book is actually the required text. Uh, And so it's an interesting little fluke that most people don't talk about, but all the teachers had to teach from this book, but they were uh, forbidden from teaching out of that chapter. Uh, in accordance accordance with the Butler Act. So Scopes actually wanted to get arrested again, and Scopes even encouraged testimony against himself from his students, Uh, and he was in search of a prosecutor. A colleague of John Butler reached out to none other than William Jennings Bryan. Bryan was a populist, folksy, Christian congressman with a habit of failing presidential campaigns. Sean Sean Feucht, he's a modern day. But he was also, uh, as literally uh, uh, literally everything written about William Jennings Bryan, they will call him and repeat ad nauseum a, quote-unquote, gifted orator. And this this guy could effortlessly flick the bean of the impulses of the common man and of folk religion and of folk po- politics. He was a, a, a awful. Anyway, Bryan led the prosecution of the Scopes... Uh, trial and was and Scopes was defended by Clarence Darrow. The, the trial transcript shows Brian's efforts to make a grand mockery of Darwin. So how could anyone claim that we were descendants of monkeys, not even from American monkeys, but old world monkeys as if it matters and it's just so racist. Uh, he cries out things like uh, like this uh, to get laughter in the courtroom and he positions himself constantly to receive like the most rise. Um, he was also being manipulated by um, Darrow, Clarence Darrow. To, they, they were trying to make a display of the ridiculousness of creationism. So now you know, in one other case, he says, uh, we, now we have our glorious pedigree, and each t- child is expected to copy the family tree and take it home to his family to be submitted for the family tree in the Bible. Uh, this is what Darwin says. Uh, and like the quote doesn't even make any sense, but he's do- doing this to make a mockery how you're going to have to record your genealogy going back to the monkeys in your family Bible. And so this fucking clown carries on like this until two days later, Darrow, the defense attorney actually responded in his own kind of theater by calling Brian, the prosecutor to the stand as a student of the Bible. And the transference is re- like the, the transcript is really bizarre It gets weird, but, um, Brian deflected questions of whether the days of creation were literal 24 hour periods or something else, something longer. He also deflected question, uh, questions of whether the earth is 6,000 years old. Darrow asked whether childbirth is actually painful because of Eve's sin. And Brian deflected again, saying, I will believe just what the Bible says. I prefer that to your language. Read the Bible and I will answer. And what the Bible says, dude, right? Um, dude, people still fucking talk like this, and I hate talking to people like this as if I didn't spend years of my life studying this, but the transcript of this trial itself was bananas. This shit was bananas, B-A-N-A-N-A-S. And the intensity is evident even in just reading the transcript. So I'm just going to read some of it here, and this is the defense counsel, Darrow, questioning the fucking prosecutor, William Jennings Bryan, okay? So, The defense is Darrow and the prosecuting counsel is Brian. Here's the excerpt. I'm going to type it out in the show notes too. Darrow, I will read to you from the Bible. And the Lord said to a serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly thou shalt go and dust thou shalt eat all the days of your life. Do you think this is why the serpent uh, is compelled to crawl on his belly? Brian says, I believe that. Darrow, have you any idea how the snake moved around before that time? Brian says, no, sir. Darrow, do you know whether he walked on his tail or not? Brian, no, sir, I have no way to know. And then the audience laughs. Darrow says, now you refer to the rainbow that was put in the heavens after the flood. Do you believe in that? Brian says, read it. Darrow says, all right, Mr. Brian, I will read it for you. Brian... Your Honor, I think I can somehow shorten this uh, testimony. The only purpose Mr. Darrow has is to slur the Bible, but I will answer his question. I will answer it all at once, and I have no objection in the world. I want the world to know that this man who does not believe in God is trying to use a court in Tennessee, Then he's interrupted. Darrow says, I object to that. Brian says, to slur at it. While it will require time, I'm willing to take it. And Darrow says, I object your statement. I am exempting you on your fool ideas that no intelligent Christian on earth believes. And so after this, the court adjourns. And then on the trial's final day, Darrow told the court that he wanted a guilty verdict for his client, John Sto- Scopes. The issue wasn't whether evolution was true or not, but whether or not the defendant had violated the Butler Act that had prohibited teaching evolution. So the jury found Scopes, uh, Scopes guilty after deliberating only nine minutes, and the judge ordered a fine. The defendant and his lawyer were very pleased because Darrow wanted to appeal this case while Scopes uh, spoke proudly of his commitment to religious and academic freedom. If Darrow and the ACLU desired to overthrow laws prohibiting evolution in the classroom, they need to wait four more decades. It was not actually until the Supreme Court ruled in Epperson versus Arkansas, Arkansas in 1968 that bans on teaching evolution in the classroom were finally struck down. The fundamentalist or evangelical would always be a creationist after the 20s. For the Southern Protestant, the Scopes trial proves what they had suspected all along, though uh, that Northern liberals were out to get them. Sounds very familiar. So two years later in 1927, an interesting development happens that is worth pausing on for its relevance to what we'll talk about next week. Two years after that Scope's trial in 1927, one man decided to do something about this assault on Southern Christian values. A man named Bob Jones founded a university to, as he put it, quote, "...combat all atheistic, agnostic, pagan adulterations of the gospel through traditional Bible teaching and create the greatest interdenominational Orthodox education center in the world." And as we'll see next time, because of a bizarre connection between tax exemption resistance, uh, tax exemptions and resistance to racial integration and abortion. It was Bob Jones University that started in the wake of the Scopes trial that led straight to the creation of the religious right and the rise of the new white evangelical. That's this episode. Crack a beer open. Burn Babylon down. There's a little there's a little Easter egg at the end if you want to listen to it. Thanks one Open up the Bacardi I'm just trying to get naughty. Boy, I see you looking at me. What's it going to (laughs) be?